0: run for Moses Moody here in the second half. Curry cut off by Doncic,
1: Bounce pass to Moody. Fakes the three. Puts it on the deck. Drives in. Left-hand lamp. Good! Moses
0: Moody with a big-time bucket. How about that? Love it. 114 to 106. His first basket of the game. Now back to 95-7 the game. Moody would also drop a nice dime to Kevon Loody, setting him up for a dunk. Kevon, Kevon Looney obviously strong, but Moses Moody was a guy that had solid, and I think that might be the operative word, solid minutes for the rookie out of the University of Arkansas last night in a run that saw him be part of that pivotal turnaround in the third. And it was good to see Coach Kerr reward the kids and these players, these role players, by letting them play a good chunk of that fourth quarter as well.
1: Yeah, I think Steve Kerr has, has quietly done a really good job at managing not only the loads for each of his players, but I mean, he he's kind of picked his spots when he's gotten guys in and I, I know that everyone's coming down on him for applying too much Damian Lee, but like if that's the only mistake that you're making as a as a coaching staff or as a head coach, to me that's a win. And I, I think Kerr it's not that he's necessarily outcoached his opponents or has made a you know, a, a move like in twenty fifteen inserting Iguodala into the starting lineup. Like he hasn't done anything flashy as a head coach. But he just he hasn't made the mistake that's cost him a game yet. And I think that's the most important part, especially when you have a team that I think we can both agree, Dan, is the better of the two sides and has been the better team in each of the first now three series that they've played in the postseason. Like you almost just want to get out of the way of your talent. You want to you wanna make sure that you're not doing anything to impede their dominance, their talent. I mean you know he's he's called timeouts at at proper times. He's challenged plays. He didn't challenge a play. I think it was, I think it might have been game one. Draymond was asking for him to <laughs> yeah. to go with like On two minutes charge. left in the yeah. second quarter. It's like, dude, Draymond, you might need that challenge later in the game. I don't know why you. And it's not gonna. It's not anything that they're gonna overturn. So Kerr has I think appropriately listened to his team when he needs to, and he's gotten guys like Moody in. I, I think he has a really good idea and a good feel for who he trusts in the proper times, and so far he's pushing all the right buttons.
0: Yeah, I think Draymond does so many of those with his hand, that finger twirling, right, giving the the motion of, replay, challenge that, challenge, 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 and it gets to a point where Coach Kerr's like, just to appease him, they're you know, like, okay, okay, and he turns to his coaching staff, and I think the coaching staff doesn't even turn on the iPad. They're like, yeah, no, no,
1: it, it wasn't. In, and, in, in his defense, Draymond's been right a couple of times, but I think the only player that Steve Kerr will blindly trust in any situation when he asks for a challenge is Andre Iguodala, who unfortunately hasn't seen the court.
0: By the way, you're talking about how good of a job that Steve Kerr has done and somebody that we do not throw, you know, throw his flowers and or give him his just due oftentimes because it's sort of, you know, it's expected. But Jason Kidd, once again, to reiterate, in that 26-13 to 13 blitz by that of the Golden State Warriors in, once again, a pivotal third quarter of the Warriors, Jason Kidd, the pride of St. Joe's, out of the University of California, did not call a timeout. Did not call a timeout until there was like seven and a half left, and they were trailing 97 to 92. But we don't do Dallas Sports Talk Radio. That's for you guys out in Big D. Let's stay in the Big A, that being Antioch. How's that for a segue there? <laughs> uh, That's the way we do it up here at 95.7 The Game, man. It's it's all about Lee standing by. He wants to talk Warrior Basketball. What's up, Lee? Welcome aboard. Hey, how you doing? Um... I'm calling about uh, Moses Moody because uh, I noticed uh, he's from Arkansas. Uh, uh, he talked about uh, one game when he scored a couple of th- uh, when he scored 30 points, and they asked him uh, how he's adapting to the Warriors. and He said that that uh, Eric Musselman prepared him. He said that Musselman that they run some of the same sets mm. as the Warriors, and he said it helped him along. They said Musselman preached to him, said, "You know, you got to get in the rebound. You got the rebound. You got the rebound, and play defense." And he said that kind of helped set the tone for him to, uh, when he came to the Warriors. They have prepare him for what uh, what was going on in the NBA. That's a really good. That's a really good point. You know, and it's not by accident, right? When you're scouting these guys, and let's give the Warriors. You're talking about Steve Kerr doing a good job. How about the Warriors when it comes to the NBA draft? Now, I know, listen, it's a roll of the dice oftentimes. And the jury's still out on James Weissman to a certain degree and certainly on Jonathan Kaminga. But there hasn't been the glaring miss, as you see, for a lot of teams. <coughs> Sacramento Kings. You know, I mean, the Golden <laughs> State Warriors don't miss as often. And I guess where I'm going with what it is that the caller was saying that that's not by accident. Musselman's one of yours, right? You're able to pick up the phone. You know, he knows what you're doing there with the Golden State Warriors. And you can talk to him on a level because he coached with the Golden State. And you can say to him, hey, listen, man, you know, is this could this guy play in our system? And he would know. And so it's not by accident you get a guy like that of Moody. This is all sort of, you know, they've done their homework well beforehand.
1: And, and I think Musselman also recognized that Moody was ready for that next challenge. I remember I was in studio on draft night producing – and we had Musselman on to talk about Moody in that pick. And one of the first things that he he said was, you know, like I encouraged Moody as at the time the Big Twelve freshman of the year and one of the best players in the Big Twelve, or pardon me, uh, the SEC, sorry, out of Arkansas. He encouraged him to say, Hey, like, you can take your game to the next level. Like what you're doing right now as just a freshman at nineteen years of age is transferable to the next level. And I know each and every head coach wants to hype up their guys and make them sound as good as possible, but you know Musselman, who's been in the league and has a long tenured history of coaching at a high level, I- I'm inclined to take him for his word, and I think Moody has proven so far that that analysis and you know that scouting report has been reflective in his play. Uh, Also want to revisit, of course, that he may need to start in Game 3 if Andrew Wiggins is unavailable to go. was listed as questionable for Game 3 with a left ankle soreness. And I actually was able to dig up the play that we both kind of not necessarily looked at as, oh, my gosh, he's going down, but may have been the one to trigger it. It was with about 2 minutes and 20 seconds left in that second quarter. Dallas at the time was up 18 points and Wiggins went in for a drive on top of Doncic and sort of landed on Doncic's foot. No no, no, dirty play by any means and sort of rolled his ankle. The good news was that he finished out the game. He played another 20 minutes, yeah. and he finished the game. It was pretty efficient, both on offense and defense, uh, but, of course, a lot of that, I'm sure, being adrenaline, and after the game, then it begins to swell up, and so hopefully he's ready to go on uh, on Sunday, pardon me, tomorrow because they're absolutely going to need him maybe more defensively than offensively.
0: Yeah, that, and it's one of the, you know, we were talking about when did he get injured because he's one of those guys I can never remember him getting hurt or I can't remember him ever being in pain. Whereas, you know, Jordan Poole, we all love the guy, but the dude down on his, he's on his wall, like every other place, writhing in pain. He, Jordan Poole would have done well in the WWE. Like he can fake pain better than anybody. Oh my goodness, I just got my eyeball removed from my socket. I mean, he's one of those guys, sorry, to go down a rabbit hole. But as it relates to... You just never see Wiggins in any sort of level of pain. So when that dude is clutching for an ankle or a foot or whatever it might be, you have a tendency to sort of sit up and go, whoa, okay, something might be amiss there because that doesn't happen frequently with this guy. He's so stoic. But once again, to reiterate, according to Anthony Slater, is that Andrew Wiggins is now listed as questionable for Game 3 against the Dallas Mavericks as the series now shifts to Big D. The Warriors up two games to none. So – Sort of leads us to, if he can't go, we talked about potentially who could start or at least replace Andrew Wiggins, and we think it might be Moody. Although Damian Lee might be more comfortable for Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr really, I mean, we saw Jonathan Kaminga start against Memphis. Now I don't, I don't know if that'll happen, but uh, we'll find out. Should that be the case tomorrow, and Wiggins can't go, but how about defensively? His main assignment was to watch Luka Doncic. If Wiggins isn't available. Who then takes on number 77?
1: So I think first, the reason to me why Kaminga would start is because you'd be okay with him playing similar to the Memphis series at the beginning of the game. Because if he's great, he can help you get out to an early lead. But if he hurts you, at least then we've already seen the Warriors come back from down 19. It's not like there's any insurmountable number that Kaminga's going to – there's not a hole he's going to put you in that you can't dig yourself out of. So I wouldn't necessarily be mad if Kaminga got to start – and got those early minutes and got some experience because they may end up needing him, especially in a finals potential against two teams in both Miami and Boston that are long and lengthy, similar to Kaminga. But to your point, defensively against Doncic, I think they've, they've kind of shown us already what they're going to do. They'll just turn it up another couple of notches, which is they're going to throw five different bodies at him. I mean, it's going to be Looney. It's going to be Thompson. Might be Steph at some points. It could be Moody. It could be Porter Junior coming off the bench. It's going to be a bunch of different guys Kuminga. and a bunch of different. <laughs> might be Kaminga, but well, it's going to be a bunch a good of match looks. For him, at least
0: physically. But go ahead. Sorry no, no, no. You're,
1: you're, no, you're right. He is. He's strong enough. Yeah. I don't know if when the Mavericks start to pick on him a little bit more. If he's the type of guy that can keep Doncic or even Brunson in front of him consistently. But that's also something that he might need to learn how to do if he can help you later in the playoffs. So to me, it's, you know, you're going to see a lot more zone. You're going to see a lot more box and one. And to your point, which I thought was very interesting earlier, Dan, about how the Warriors don't need timeouts to switch their defenses, it's like an every possession thing. So maybe it's every third possession we're going box and one against Doncic, or every two possessions we're going to the zone. Like, To me, they've done it to a certain extent, but because they've had Wiggins to pick him up full court, they can play more man-to-man. I think it'll be a lot more of what people have described in the past as gimmicky defenses to try and slow
0: down Doncic. One of the reasons why I want to see Jonathan Kaminga play is that, and I get it, listen, you know, I'm not so much in this guy's corner that I can't see the reality and what's actually taking place, but... If he gets a chance to play, I think he's going to get into one of those rhythms and one of those grooves where he becomes dominant. Like there's no answer for this guy. And now, if that happens, Ev, how that changes the complexion. We were talking moments ago about how the Warriors are disrespected and or people aren't aware of all of these new weapons they have. A lot of people are seeing Jordan Poole do this for the first time. A lot of people are seeing a lot of this stuff for the first time. Jonathan Kaminga, if he emerges in this postseason, I guarantee you not only will the quote unquote analyst or the experts go, oh my goodness, never saw this coming, but more importantly, if you're the bot, forget about Dallas, they're cooked. If you're Boston, if you're the Miami Heat, like you're up at night worrying about Steph Clay and Draymond, and now, oh my goodness, I got to worry about Jordan Poole. Who is this kid, Jonathan Kaminga? Are you kidding me? This guy has the capability of taking over games for a couple of stretches. I do believe that's within him. And that's only going to be, or it's only going to come to fruition if he gets an opportunity to play. So it's sort of like getting, I like to surf. So it's, it's like you got to get past the breakers. And the breakers being, you know, the dumb fouls, the mistakes, the potential of getting, doing something stupid in your little three minute run that you get the quick hook and you sit down and you don't play for another five days.
1: I think the issue with Kaminga is that he is, at this point in his career, I think he's going to be fantastic and hopefully a warrior for a very long time. But at this point, he's kind of a coin flip. And if you just look at the four regular season games against Dallas this year, he was a coin flip. In the first game, they played them, they ended up losing three out of the four. But in the first game, they lost by 17, Kaminga, didn't make a shot from the field, was a minus 13. The next game, the one game they won, they blew him out by nearly 40. Kamega had 22 points in 17 minutes. I think that's the type of explosion that you're talking about and that you're hoping for. The only issue is that down in the next game, he goes three for seven, turns the ball over four times in 17 minutes. So it isn't that he can't have that explosive performance, that outlier of a 22 in 15 minutes. Like he can absolutely be a force offensively. And for small periods of time, could even potentially lead your offense. But I just don't know if the Warriors coaching staff is willing to risk the minus 10 that could be on the other side of that coin, especially when you would love nothing more than to grab a three to nothing lead, put the baby to bed. Even if Dallas gets a game, even if they get two games, there's no possible chance that if you go up three to nothing, if you win game three in Dallas, that you are not getting to the NBA Finals. And I think the Warriors, with the type of sense of urgency that they approach game two with, I think they'll try and do the exact same theme in game three to step on the throat of Dallas, and I don't know if Kaminga necessarily factors into that plan.
0: Do you have Moody's numbers? I'll give you an opportunity against Dallas this year because I know one of the games in Dallas was sort of his breakout, one of his better games because he didn't play as much as Kaminga, but Moody was getting some run, and I know I think it was against Dallas specifically where he had a big game, and I think it turned Steve Kerr's head, and maybe it influenced a lot of what we saw last night where Moody was an, got an opportunity to play because I think that Coach Kerr has a level of confidence knowing that he does well in this matchup against the Dallas Mavericks. And also, again, we don't know what's happening in practice, but you got any numbers on Moody against Dallas?
1: So I do. And, and it was actually the last game they played That's in right. Dallas where Dallas uh, – Steph didn't take Came a shot. Behind. Curry didn't take a shot in the fourth quarter because yes. he was kicking to Moody. And Moody That's hit the game. three threes in a row in the fourth quarter, had 13 points off the bench in 15 minutes. He was really good, and I think you're right. That is the game where maybe Kerr points back to him and says, hey, like, we, we, we might have something with this guy. You know, he's a 3-and-D player. He's smart, and he's playing pretty well against Dallas. He matches up with them, I think, perfectly. So, no, I think there is something to that. And he's also, you know, partially because of opportunity. Like, he's been in the G League for quite a bit of the season. Um, but he's definitely you know, strutted his stuff in games that don't necessarily mean as much. So for him to have that performance on the road in Dallas goes a long way because it was one of the few times he actually got the opportunity to play big minutes.
0: If you're the coach, all right, say the Golden State Warriors, if any team, and I'm giving you two rookies, and we've seen their sample size. On the left is Moses Moody. On the right is Jonathan Kaminga. And I'm talking about right now, someone's got to go into a game. Who are you putting against? Who are you putting into that contest? Who's giving you a level of, I'm sort of giving this away, who gives you the level of confidence right now? Who are you putting into the contest? I'm more confident in Moses Moody. Yeah. See, that's where I think this this conversation has a ten, tendency to lean. But I think,
1: to your point, the peak is undoubtedly Kaminga. Like, he he has the greater potential of the two, but for right now, like, it's, I, and, and I think, that even if he was healthy, I know where I'm going to throw this for a wrinkle here, but if Jonathan Wiseman was available right now, I think that's kind of where he would be. Like, he has the potential to be great, but I don't know if it's right now. And right now, you need guys you can trust. You need guys you can be confident in because there is no room for error at this point in the game. And Moody, to me, gets the check mark in that box.
0: Well, I would only say that there's room for error in that you're not going to give him, if he's turning the ball over and this stage is too big for him, then you're not going to stay with him for an extended period of time. You can recognize, all right, that didn't work and you can sit him down again and then you can get him out of the game. You're not going to stay with him so he makes so many errors and you get into such a big hole, it becomes insurmountable. Sure. But, but you're right. You, you don't even want to deal with that. I get it. But again, it's just going to be that one opportunity where he gets to play and he does things. It's not about him scoring so much ev it's about the way he can score and i always harken back to this he gets buckets unlike anybody else on that warrior team he has the potential to do it by pressuring the rim and playing through contact and there's wiggins to a certain degree but now if wiggins isn't available there is nobody on that team who can put it on the deck yeah i know steph and pool and those guys can close but they got to be crafty and they got to be quick to this to the spot I'm talking about a guy who can beat you through contact and beat you with putting pressure on the rim and do it as a big at six, eight, like that changes the entire dynamic of the team. You talk about now suddenly having balance with that guy to go along with the ability to shoot it from outside. I mean, he unlocks a lot of things and that's why I keep, I keep beating that drum saying, just give him an opportunity because if he does hit, it game over, man. I, I, I think- do think
1: he's a better matchup against Dallas than he is against Memphis because when you get past the perimeter defenders right. for the Grizzlies, there's there's two towers there with, with Adams and Jackson. And so he's got to go not only around defenders but above defenders that have similar vertical uh, contesting ability. Against Dallas, there's not really a second line of defense. So I, I could see where he could put his head down, just steamroll his way to the basket with not a lot of – pushback from the Dallas team
0: yeah well that's the whole reason why I I liked him in Memphis because of the athleticism that Memphis had they had all these long big athletic guys and I felt like he's the one dude who can get to the rim and challenge these guys nobody else could and and as it relates to Dallas you're right this is perfectly made for him I talked about how Clay Thompson got to the rim and dunked twice if Clay can do that then this kid Jonathan Kaming can certainly go out the rim before we get to the break I just want to talk about this because I always take advantage of my man Evan Giddings, who, of course, you can listen to, he calls the play-by-play in the IFL for the Bay Area Panthers. He's an up-and-coming star when it comes to play-by-play, in my estimation, and I know this stuff. I always like to get in, and I can only do it with you. Okay. You know this. Hit me. I like to get into the play-by-play. We'll get back to the Warriors, I promise you, and we'll update you on what's going on in prep game three, but I love to talk about the play-by-play, because, you know, Kevin, Kevin Harlan for whatever reason, hasn't annoyed me as much in this series. <laughs> yeah. But what about Reggie Miller? Oh, I like Reggie. Okay. I'm down with Reggie, but Stan Van Gundy, I never liked. Never liked Stan Van Gundy. Wow, he's a guest here regularly, isn't that All right? Oh wait, we, we had him on this week. It's okay. All right, no worries. But Stan Van Gundy, but suddenly Van Gundy with Reggie Miller, the three of them, because typically it's one or the other because of the postseason, they're they're going to a more crowded booth. Mm-hmm. It works. I kind of like this dynamic.
1: I think it does too, which is interesting because typically the, I'm not a fan of the three man booth. Like I, I think it should be play by play and color with two guys with chemistry, and they kind of feed off each other. It works with
0: Breen, Jackson, and, of course, Van Gundy for whatever reason,
1: though, right? That is true. That is very true. And I think it's because, and maybe Harlan falls a little bit more into the Breen mold in this case because because you have two guys that are analysts, like as the play-by-play guy, you're almost forced to get out of the way. You kind of have to. You call the play, you do your thing, and then you pitch it to them and then they get their time to break down whatever's going on. I did think Miller was was sort of stepping on Harlan, as well as Van Gundy, a little bit through the first two games of this series. But you're right, and I don't know if it's because there's, more time, or there's less time to fill, and Harlan, as you've so eloquently pointed out in the past, will use every single second possible to explain what's going on, even though we can see it sometimes. But when you have to get out of the way for Miller and Van Gundy, I think they also realize, too, like they can play off of each other as opposed to throwing it back to Harlan, who seems to have his mind set strictly on the play-by-play. So for whatever reason, I'm kind of with you. Like Separately, Harlan with Miller or Harlan with Van Gundy, it's not as good as the three of them together in the booth. And I wonder if it's, I don't know, just because they have less time to talk individually.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that's it. That's it, because to me, I can listen to Reggie Miller. He doesn't annoy me. Reggie Miller seems to be awake. I'm overly critical on these guys. I think he's insightful, and and I like Reggie Miller. He sort of grew on me over the years. Uh, Stan Van Gundy is just – I don't like his delivery, and I think he's just slow. He's talking about a play that happened five seconds ago, and the ball's on the other side of the court, and he's just – but, but he's got to speed things up he's got to jab and get in and get out because he knows that you know Miller is right there
1: that, that also could be why they work well together because I also see Reggie as a much more entertaining broadcaster yeah. than van gundy but yes. van gundy's not not strictly, but he likes to delve into the X's and O's. And so you kinda get that nice balance where Reggie can have some fun with the pool party or the night night and the downtime, yes, you know, yes, all that yes, stuff. Yes. And then stands here saying, Oh, well, they're coming off the pick and roll and they're doubling curry six times as half. Like so it's it's a nice blend of each.
0: Yeah, but he doesn't say it like that. He says it like they're coming off the pick and roll and I think the Warriors, what the you know, he's got that elongated delivery, which is he's got good insight. It's just like Come on, man, somebody kick him in the shorts and get this thing going, which Reggie Miller does because he simply, he's simply there in the booth with him. I agree. Reggie Miller said something. We'll get back to the Golden State Warriors, which I couldn't agree more. And, of course, he played back in another time, right, Reggie Miller, part of the 90s, and it was the flagrant foul on both Damian Lee and Bertrans. Yeah. And Reggie Miller's like, what is going on? I understand it's another game these days, but this is ridiculous. And it is these flagrant fouls and the timeouts and taking, you know, tempo or momentum from one away from one team, it, stop with that. Stop. And I don't mean to be one of those because I think the game is much better played now with spacing and the athletes they have now. The game has never been this talented. But in terms of the flagrant fouls and the referees dominating this thing, they have got to eradicate that.
1: I'm glad you brought that up because that brings me to another point. One, I, I'm with Reggie. I don't really know what Bertans is supposed to do you in that get situation. he has got to get up. Lee's trying to jump over you. I get Lee being, I don't know, angry about seemingly being pushed, but what what was the guy supposed to do? What I took greater note of the Dallas Mavericks bench. Oh. Can you get the hell off the court? <laughs> What's going on? They're, they got one foot on the court at all times. I thought that's supposed to be illegal. I thought we talked to the league about this. Sit down to the bench. Get up and cheer when your team hits a shot. And then sit back down. Why are you standing up the entire time in my man's ear in the corner, whispering to him something that you shouldn't be, and then refusing to take a seat? Get on the bench. And when, yeah. I mean, celebrate when you're excited, but if not,
0: sit the hell down. Great point. Steph threw the ball away to the one guy who was wearing a white T-shirt. It was standing up like five feet from Steph, and Steph threw him a chest pass thinking he was a Golden State Warrior because the dude was standing in his periphery. Sit the dude down. You're absolutely right. And they got fined. Didn't they get docked twenty-five grand against They've the They've already Phoenix been
1: fined for it. They've already been told by the league that this is not acceptable. I think it's – it was 25, but it might have been 50 by the end of the Phoenix series because they've been doing it the entire postseason. Sit down. And Tim Hardaway Jr., thanks uh, Brian in the back there, told us that that was the guy who Steph Curry threw it to, Tim Hardaway Jr.
0: Tim Hardaway Jr., yeah. so He's not even playing. He's hurt. Think about that. Okay, I mean, it was a blowout at that point. of the war. No, it wasn't even a blowout. But think about it. If it's a tie game, there's seconds left, or you're down by a bucket and your entire season's on the line, and Steph throws that ball to a guy in your periphery who's wearing white who is standing there and waving his hands. I mean, you know, this thing gets a lot bigger play than just as being sort of a something that uh, we're underlining as of right now. All right. Yeah, They're a- sitting down
1: by the end of the game after they blew a 19-point lead.
0: <laughs> Certainly sitting down as they got on that plane headed back to Dallas down 2 <laughs> All right. We're going to wrap up the show. Man. We are going to take you home until 5 o'clock and get you ready for game three. Also... Some giant news. We'll update you on what's going on with the Higantes. And yes, we've been teasing John Daly. I got to get into the John Daly. Over. We just got to do a little John Daly. All right. Talk to me back after this on 95 The game to wrap it.
1: Thompson with seven to shoot. A minute ten to go in the game. Warriors up seven. Clay dribble drive. Throws out to Curry. Steps to his left. Takes the three. Got it.
0: One twenty-two. One twelve. Warriors. Now back to 95-7 the game. Warriors go on to win it to take a commanding two games to none lead. Looking to go up 3-0 on Dallas tomorrow. Once again, news that came down about an hour ago, Andrew Wiggins, according to Anthony Slater, is suffering from a leg injury and is listed as questionable for game three. Obviously, we will provide more details as they're made available, and that is something to keep an eye on as the Warriors head out to Big D. You know, We're talking about and we're talking about Dallas, and we're talking about how the players were sort of like standing up and, you know, and, and stepped through that errant pass to Tim Hardaway Jr. We know Memphis, certainly with Dylan Brooks, even prior to that, the way they were chirping and want to replace the Warriors as the new team to beat out in the Western Conference. It's time for their new dynasty. We know that's a young, brash team. Are you locating or sensing any level of sports hate as it comes to Dallas? I mean, they got Cuban, who's always easy to hate, but is there anything there? I don't know if there's
1: anything there yet, but I feel like – I think Dallas feels that. And, look, it's – anytime you're down 2 nothing in a series – Dallas hates the Warriors, you mean? Yes. Yeah, well, like, everyone does. Well, uh, Anybody, that's also if fair. If Draymond
0: plays on your team – Draymond plays you on get your team – the wrath of
1: hatred. People seem to hate – I don't know if they hate Curry, but they hate what he does to their no, team. No, I hate Curry. Oh, they-
0: I, I was living in New York when he was first going off, and believe you me, man, that little – you know, the pretty boy does everything right. People just – when you're envious, it turns into hate. Like, it's it's not about that he does anything wrong. Is that he's just so good. He's good looking. He's got the perfect family life. Doesn't do anything wrong. It's like, oh, my God, someone knock him to the ground. That was sort of the sentiment, at least in New York. But they want to knock everybody to the ground, right? But we are starting to see a little more of that shimmy stuff
1: coming out. And yeah. Of course, at the end of the game, he hit him with the night-night before the ball went through the hoop, put the baby to bed. And that seems to be his new thing. Do you think that there is – I mean, I I love a demonstrative Steph. I don't think that he does it enough for how good he is because he has respect for his opponents. But when he does do those things, people tend to come down him from the national media and say, see, like, you know, this is who this guy really is. He's you know, he's trying to kill his opponents, he's trying to take him out, he's talking about just having fun. But really that like I I love to see that version of Steph. Like, because He is a killer on the court, and people don't give him enough credit for being the killer that he is. I think that's one of the reasons why he's been so effective in the fourth quarters, because he seizes the moment, and he knew that as soon as that shot went up and it went in, that that would be the nail in the coffin. I love that, Dan.
0: You know what it is? And Steve Kerr says this, and I'm stealing from Steve Kerr. Coach Kerr said he's never seen a player that has as much joy and fun playing basketball than that Steph that's what Steph is Steph is literally the joy of playing hoops is what's being misinterpreted showing somebody up as we all know that's not who he is this dude just he loves what it is that he does man and he has a good time doing it it's it's more of a good feel vibe as opposed to anything else but when you're that good, and you have this perception of being this baby face guy that everybody's supposed to like, and you're putting people to bed and you're shimming. Yeah, you could see the disconnect. But again, the the operative word there to quote Steve Kerr is just, just joy in terms of what it is that he's doing. But what about Dallas? Can Dub Nation hate on Dallas? I mean, I saw him going after Davies Bertrand. <laughs> like Davies might be one of the most genteel dudes going. I mean, are really you're gonna get mad at Davies Bertrands? They're gonna come stronger than that. I, I think. Like, I th- who's the Who's the one guy you could maybe sink your teeth into and say, Yeah, it's no. gotta be Doncic. I mean, it it
1: is always it's usually no. a player on the opposing team that does a lot of acting. I mean, whether it's Chris Paul, whether it's LeBron, whether it's Harden, like it doesn't. I mean, Dylan Brooks didn't necessarily ingratiate himself with with Dub Nation after taking out GP two, but you know, it, everyone was mad at Ja before that. Like, I, I just think it's it's the best player on the team that you're going against, and Luca, for as great as I think he is, and I I do think Luca is potentially the next face of the NBA. Like, he he cries a lot. Yeah, I mean the hands being thrown up when he doesn't get his way. He's always chirping at the refs. He was miked up last night and was just, you know, screaming in the first half at people, and it's like, alright, dude, I mean, I get you're competitive, you're fiery, but the the question I always have for players like that, and I I, I know Draymond does it too, it's not like the Warriors are, are free of this, but do you really need all that extra stuff to win a game? I mean, you're already a, a great, amazing super talent as it is, do you really need to be doing all that extra hoopla? And again, this goes to Draymond, too. Iguodala did it back in the day. Like, is that a necessary part of the game to try and get your way, basically? Because you come off as a, you know, kind of like
0: a little kid. You know, I'm not a therapist, but I would say and answer that with one word, and that's yes. I think they have to play, they have to play basketball one way, and it's, it's on that emotional edge. Otherwise, they're no good to anybody. That's the way these dudes live. Like, they have to be dialed in. And the reason why they're great, it's because they are so committed and so emotionally committed. And they are such competitors that they want every call. They want every bucket. They want to win every single game. That's the way they're wired. And if you're to rewire or tinker with that at all, I don't think you get the same guy. Like, I think that just becomes part and parcel of what it is that you're investing in as a player. As annoying as they are, especially when it comes to Draymond and Listen, he annoys the crap out of me, especially last night. But that is who he is, and if you're to change any of that, then you change, you know, the good with the bad. So you you take the complete package. Unfortunately,
1: that's that's fair, and I, I think Doncic. Maybe it's just because we haven't seen him at this stage, this deep into the into the playoffs before, but. You know, just watching him in the regular season, too. I mean, it's not like he's just crying in the Western Conference Finals. Like, he whines when they're playing the Houston Rockets (laughs) and they're up 20 in the fourth quarter. Like, the the guy just won't let it go. So,
0: Well, I'll tell you what. Maybe there's no level of hate, certainly for Memphis, and maybe you put that to bed, no pun intended, Steph Curry, when it comes to this series against the Dallas Mavericks. But if we're to get ahead of ourselves and the Boston Celtics come to town, here we go again. There will be some definite fireworks. And I don't mean that... That silly stuff we saw last night with you know, whatever Bertrands and Damian Lee were doing. I'm talking, here comes Marcus Smart. And that's the guy that took out Steph. And everybody's very aware of it. At least they should be, if not Steph. And Marcus Smart didn't back down from anybody. They play defense probably better than anybody statistically in the NBA the second half of the season. And Ev, they they got an attitude when they do it. And that's—I <laughs> I don't
1: mean to take a shot, and I'm sorry Damian Lee has to catch this stray, but I think that's kind of the difference between Bertrands and Smart. Now, Curry—both Curry and Draymond came out after the game and said Smart's not a dirty player. A lot of people perceived it as what he did being a dirty play. I don't necessarily think so because of how great of a defensive player Marcus Smart is. But <laughs> if if Davis Bertrands takes out Steph Curry on that play and goes up, and I think he had every right to do what he did to Lee— people are looking at him a little bit yeah. more different they're looking at him with some more <laughs> ire but because he went after Damian Lee everyone's like ah well I'll give him a he was probably in the right you know it probably wasn't it was it wasn't Berton's fault it's probably Lee's fault he's probably doing too much and and also i think that when it comes down to to hate or rivalries in general the biggest thing to me Dan is fear like whether you want to admit it or not boston i don't i don't put miami in that category but a team like boston makes me a little fearful for the Warriors chances to win the finals similar to how prior to this series i thought phoenix might have been that team how you know some of the, the teams in years past for the warriors namely the rockets the cavaliers like that's where the hate comes because you know that they are capable of taking from you and the warriors where they're trying to get which is the championship so i i don't think there's a hate for dallas because right now there's no reason to fear them. They're down two to nothing, and there's it doesn't look like the series is going to flip it all. Now, let Dallas win game three, whether Wiggins plays or not, and Doncic starts to do his dance in the tail end of the game. Maybe he takes Steph one on one. Maybe he starts to flex on some guys. Then I think you'll see that hate start to ramp up. But right now there's no reason to.
0: It's just a matter of time. Whether it's Doncic in this series, and I don't know if Dallas can win a game. Or if it happens in the NBA Finals, should the Warriors get there? Somebody's going to put Steph Curry and the Warriors to sleep, right? That's going to happen. Somebody is going to mimic exactly what Steph does and give him a taste of his own medicine. We have an update, and this is according to Coach Kerr now, just to update you on the news that broke about an hour ago, and that was that uh, Andrew Wiggins was listed as questionable and may not play in Game 3. Well, just moments ago, Coach Steve Kerr has said, and I quote, I expect him, referring to Andrew Wiggins, to play in game three. Technically, he is questionable, but I expect him to play. So, obviously, good news there.
1: Fantastic news. And and news that, as we've kind of touched on, is along the lines of what Andrew Wiggins has been his entire career. I know we don't like to think about Andrew Wiggins prior to his time in a Golden State because he was most oftentimes forgotten in Minnesota, but his first four years in the NBA, he missed – one game like he has been yeah. an, an Iron Man for the majority of his career, and he has only had one season, only one season out of his first nine in the NBA in which he has not played more than 70 games, right? So he
0: has been a horse for whoever he's played for. Yeah, no, that's why I said when he was reaching down, I'm like, oh my God, he's hurt him. This is Iron Man. This never happens to the guy. The other thing about Andrew Wiggins, and I, I've, I said this even before going into this season, forget about his game and his play. He is so stoic. I think it's so refreshing where every player, and obviously Draymond takes it to different heights, but then Luca as well. One guy that just plays hoops and does not chirp or to use the B word at, at referees, he just basically hands the ball. I mean, he may give you a look or shoot you a look from time to time. I mean, maybe he's becoming a little bit more demonstrative as you mentioned earlier, but this dude just plays it the right way. As far. I mean, maybe it's not that much fun if everybody's like that, if Andrew Wiggins. But I find him so refreshing in that the guy is not clapping back after every single call.
1: And I also think that a lot of the uh, demonstrative, uh, like emotions that he's showing, a lot of it's also in the post game too. So it's not like he's doing it on the court. I mean, but I, I just remember after I think it was game one against. Uh, it was either game one or game six, but in the post game. The guy smiled like four times in his in his postgame presser. And I had no clue what his <laughs> smile looked like up until that point. I mean, the guy's got some pearly whites, he's got a great smile, but you never see it because as you said, he is the definition of a stoic. And I think he's probably along like along with Clay, like they're very mellow on the court. Steph will get up sometimes, Clay will beat his chest, but Wiggins is just the guy that you look at and and maybe I think that's why he caught a lot of flack you're um, right early in this Minnesota year.
0: or when you're talking about when he was well, just
1: in, definitely in Minnesota because yeah. it you know when you're losing and you're not showing emotion it looks like to the bird's eye of view that you don't care right when that's not the case at all here in Golden State again when the team wasn't successful last year and when it kind of was going through tough stretches this season with the injuries and whatnot everyone would look at Wiggins and be like well you know he's he hasn't scored 20 points in what they said over a year or whatever well how come he doesn't care You know he's just sitting there, looking straight browed into the camera, saying, "Well, I guess I, you know, got to play better. I'm trying to do my thing." Like that is who he is. That is who he is right now. That's who he's always been. It's just now he's contributing to winning basketball, and so for some reason we we now perceive that stoic nature about him to be a positive rather than a negative.
0: Yeah, that's just the way he's wired. He's he's just that guy, and so when he's not playing well, it gets accentuated. I'll give it a perfect example. Jordan Poole disappears to me this past year just as much, if not more so, where he was playing so well and then their games. You're like, what happened? Or he's deferring. Or when he got sat, when Steph came back and he went into that little funk. Remember Jordan Poole? Wasn't the same guy? Well, Jordan Poole never had to deal with that. No one said to Jordan Poole, you know what? You're lethargic. You, you don't care. It's because Jordan Poole is, is a little bit more animated. His personality isn't conducive to that. But it was the exact same thing. But – he he doesn't have to deal with those verbal darts because you know his personality doesn't feed into sort of that narrative. All right, let's let's close things talking about those San Francisco Jones. Well, before we do that, oh I've been, boy, I've been teasing John Daly. I just got I just got to get this out of the system. All right, <laughs> so
1: the PGA Championship is going off. Whatever he put in his system.
0: Yeah, exactly. Round one. We know John Daly, right? This dude does it a different way. Jo- I don't know if you've seen him recently. He looks like Santa. He's got this white beard all the way down to the ground. <laughs> So John Daly, in around 18 holes, keep in mind, he crushes 21 cigarettes. There's 20 in a carton, 21 heaters. Jim Leland, and then he goes with 12, 12 Diet Cokes, huh, and six bags of peanut almond M's. Oh no, peanut M's. Sorry, the peanut M's I can see. Any of those vices? The 21 heaters, the 12 Diet Cokes, the six. Packs of peanut M&Ms. Or, or can you, I mean, could you go down any of those in terms of advice and defend them? No, I mean, <laughs> I was just
1: going to say, if I had any one of those, I'd be sprawled out in Golden Gate Park sitting <laughs> on Strawberry Hill doing a starfish, making snow angels without snow. Like, I, I would have no clue what to do with myself. And this guy seems to be... The, we talked about the iron man that and Andrew Wiggins is no 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 john daly is the real iron man because not only can he eat and consume all of those different terrible things for your body but then he can still go out and crush a 300 foot drive it, it it is unbelievable
0: yeah and after that he was seen at hooters right he was getting dinner at hooters chicken wings and whatever the, the cheese toast sandwiches. And then later that night he was at the casino. So he went for the full Monty there being the one and only John Daly. But, and he also, he's one of the guys, few guys on the tour that hasn't allowed to, to use a cart. It's like <laughs> he's that, that's sort of self-induced my man, but let's get to the he's San Francisco beast. giants. And we'll just, you know, not too much on this because I don't know
1: what the hell's going on with this team. Ev, They're in trouble. They're in trouble, Dan right now. They are eight and 10 in the month of may last year. They did not have a single month in which they played sub-500 baseball. And not to say that they're in trouble in the overall scheme. Like, their record's still fine. I mean, they're they're still a competitive team. I mean, looking at them right now after today, even though they dropped two to the Padres, they're still 22-17. and They're five games over 500. Their season's not over. But the issue is that they play in the most competitive division in baseball. So you're going to have two teams ahead of you that you're trying to catch for the majority of the season – and I'm just not sure how good the peak of this Giants team is. They're going through a rough patch right now, but I think they got bigger problems than just dropping the first two games of the Padres.
0: Juan Soto is a name that has surfaced recently because Washington is thinking of cleaning house again. Remember last year it was just a fire sale. Max Scherzer, they got out of town, went to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And they, was it Trey Turner they got rid of as well, the yep. shortstop? So uh, apparently Soto's name has been shopped. And the Warriors, or excuse me, The Giants are interested in the services of what this dude might be the the best young hitter in the league right now, maybe in all of Major League Baseball. And again, here we go. Do you, you know, are they willing to pull the trigger? And because it's going to cost this kid, he's young, and so I think he's got arbitration. But you're going to have to spend some money for this guy who's not going to be a rental. Uh, I mean, first of all, would you spend the money to get a Juan Soto, even if you're tied into him for like say three years at twenty five per? And secondly, not signing these free agents at the beginning of the season, and we're beginning to see that come back and haunt them now.
1: So based on the way that Farhan has played his hand in both this offseason and previous ones, I don't think there's any chance they go out and trade for Juan Soto because that means that they're probably going to have to give up a Luciano, yes. a yes. top prospect. Yep. So like to put it in perspective, Trey Turner, you mentioned, who left last year to the Dodgers, he was traded for the Dodgers' uh, number one or number two pitching prospect, Josiah Gray and number one or number two catching prospect in Kelbert Ruiz, both of which who are a part of the Nationals team right now on their 40-man and contributing. Juan Soto is a generational talent. I mean, I, I don't think you're too far out of bounds saying that he's the best hitter in baseball. And even at age 23, he is—he he still has time to grow and get better. But this is a guy that was a World Series MVP, or pardon me, uh, close to World Series MVP, maybe the best hitter on a World Series team at age 21. I think he was the first cleanup hitter to hit in a World Series since, you know, like the Babe Ruth era or whatever. This guy is fantastic with the bat. And he's going to command potentially $300-plus million. But right now you have, including this year, a two-year window in which he's under team control for a pretty manageable amount of money until 2025, which when he comes off the books as a free agent. Like, I would absolutely go in – and give up whatever the Nationals want for Juan Soto because, look, Luciano can be a great part of your future. You know who else can? This guy who's 23 years old right now. And the best hitter in baseball, I think you trade for the known commodity and you go out and do it. That being said, that ain't the Farhan way, so it's not going to happen.
0: Giants losers again to the San Diego Padres, a team that they're looking up and now chasing both the Padres and the Los Angeles Dodgers. All right. Let's wrap things with the Golden State Warriors. By the way, my final word in the San Francisco Giants, Rich Aurelia, you know who does studio work? Of course. Is he slowly morphing and turning into Steve Mariucci? (laughs) Just think about it. Just think about it. Think about Steve Mariucci, what he looks like, and think about Rich Aurelia. I'm telling you, put them side by side, and slowly he's becoming a young Steve Mariucci physically.
1: Not too bad being the mooch. I mean, the mooch has been many a place, done plenty of things. Very successful in this world. No
0: doubt. All right. Let's wrap things in, once again, the way we started, and that being the Golden State Warriors. Ev, what say you, Game 3, what's going to happen? And just take it a step further with the series.
1: Well, what we're going to see is Dallas throw the kitchen sink because, obviously, you can't fall behind in a series 3-0. No team has ever come back from down 3-0. So you're going to see the whatever type of fight that Dallas has left, you are going to see it tomorrow at 6 o'clock on Sunday. And if you're Golden State, I don't know how you can necessarily prepare for that, but – Hopefully, they're having Wiggins, him being probable, as Steve Kerr mentioned, per Anthony Slater. That will allow them to continue the game plan that's been successful, which is throwing multiple looks at Luka Doncic and attacking the rim offensively and hoping that the outside shots begin to fall. I mean, you saw them beat the Mavericks when the Mavericks made 20-plus threes. I don't think you necessarily need to change anything because Dallas hasn't demonstrated that they want to change anything. So I would expect the Warriors to walk in there in a tight game I think the spread in game two is around six. It'll probably be around four or five. I, I I think it could be a one or two possession game, but I think the Warriors' playoff experience is good enough to get them to the 3-0 lead, and then that's when maybe they go for a gentleman's sweep.
0: You see Dallas getting one of the two at home? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So this series comes back to Golden State, with the Warriors up 3-1. But the Warriors obviously advancing and taking on potentially the Boston Celtics. Let me ask you this. For the Golden State Warriors, how do you guard against not lethargy, but how do you guard against a team that, you know, you've been able to handle the first two games in the series, and and what is it that you do, just to make sure that this team recognizes, hey, listen, man, you've got to bring the same level of energy, otherwise, you know, bad things can happen. If you're Coach Kerr, how do you make sure that your team between the ears is ready to play?
1: I don't think you need to say anything at all, and that's it's kind of. You know, addition by subtraction. Like, Kerr has, to me, managed this playoff run beautifully because of his willingness to allow his experience to take full hold. Like, he's got his – pretty much his complete team. He's got his guys at the top, and he got Curry, Clay, and Dre, and it all stems from there. So I don't think Kerr needs to do a damn thing because it's gotten him to a 2-0 lead.
0: All right, up next, you should plug this. Who do we got? We got the Bay Area Panthers
1: on the road in Prescott, Arizona, against the Northern Arizona Wranglers.
0: When's the next time you're behind the mic giving us play-by-play for the Bay Area Panthers? So it'll be a little bit. We'll be back
1: live uh, June 4th, Saturday, 5 o'clock kick against the reigning champs in the Arizona Rattlers, or pardon me, the reigning runner-ups. But that'll be at the SAP Center June 4th on Saturday. Next time you can hear us.
0: All right, and I'll see you back here tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock with Jim Cosimore from my man Evan Giddings. And, of course, for Brian, this is Dan Avone saying so long, everybody.